When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It was, I, we didn't like it at all. Like, we have seen it, because, you know, if you know Louisville team, especially when Teddy was there, nobody, like, once we got the the checks and the corrections from the coaches, we're standing up. We're watching Teddy. You know what I'm saying? Because we, in our minds, we like, yo, we, we trying to see what Teddy going to do, because we know this this guy is great. Guy, turns the We are back for another episode of From the Pink Seats podcast. Where are they now? Episode eight on the mini series as we continue to push along closer to the start of the Louisville football season. Jacob Lane, the host of the show, joined as always by Matt McGavick, Vincent Lococo on the beaches of the southern <laughs> United States, enjoying the the fine uh, taste of Bud Light, Miller Light, Coors Light. I'm sure he's putting those back. Was out golfing today, so everybody around here gets a vacation, but me. He's Imagine living his that. best life, man. <laughs> Anyways, we are in for a great show tonight as we are joined by another former Louisville football legend. This time in Marcus Smith, who played here from from uh, 2010 to 2013. And one thing I, le- I learned about this episode, Matt, is that the internet lies you can't trust what you read on the internet with dates and oh, times yeah. and statistics it's okay it's all right it was a great interview and we are extremely excited to talk to marcus not only about his his career at louisville uh, as what as i mentioned one of the most dominant defensive linemen in an era where we've had a lot of dominant defensive linemen but also a guy who was a first round pick a very celebrated accomplished player at louisville from a statistical standpoint awards uh, and then ultimately, you know, had a career where uh, some of the the kind of expectations for him, uh, he was not able to live up to those for a lot of reasons that he's going to dive into. Uh, and that's going to spark some great conversation about mental health and now the career for Marcus outside of Louisville uh, football and outside of football in general in that mental health space as an, uh, as an advocate and a mentor uh, and a great person uh, for people to learn from. And so we were really excited tonight to talk about that. Matt. No, it's always I always seem like I say like, oh, yeah, this was a great interview, but this probably will go down as one of my favorites just because like, yeah, it's always nice to talk to guys from the Sugar Bowl team and that era of football. But just having Marcus on just to talk about his own journey of self-healing, his his grapplings with mental health and everything that went on on that front. It was it was it was a nice refresher from, you know, the normal discourse that we have in here. And of course, we partake in that as well. But it was, of course. It, it was nice to, to hear an athlete of his 
stature and acclaim here locally, like be vulnerable and open up about these things. That's right, man. And then you're seeing it more often now with professional athletes and, and people are saying, well, you make all this money and you get all this fame and all these rewards and all this, but these are still individuals and still people who have hearts and who have emotions and who deal with things and have been through things. And it's always a, a great perspective to hear from other people and, and what they're learning and how their journeys have gone. And that's exactly what you'll get here tonight, but you'll uh, also hear a lot about the football that uh, took place from uh, 2010 to 2013, which were uh, two of some of the finest years of global football history uh, in those two seasons in which they won 11 and 12 games in back-to-back years. Uh, Marcus, over the course of his career, uh, 82 tackles, 57 of them solo tackles, which is really impressive from a defensive lineman edge rusher, uh, 32 and a half tackles for loss. And then roughly, because the internet lies, about roughly 25 sacks, maybe a little more, a little less, just depending on who's keeping count. Uh, but as I mentioned, uh, Matt just recently uh, in his uh, rankings of Louisville players all time by position ranked Marcus Smith as the fifth best defensive end defensive lineman in program history. And that's saying something for somebody who, when they left Louisville, had only been playing defensive end for four years. Uh, and so we're going to dive yeah. into that. One of the greatest stories of a position switch that you'll ever hear. Uh, everyone was always just trying to get Marcus to play another position, but he stuck with it. And you're going to hear some of these details <laughs> behind the scenes stories that uh, are really great to hear. Uh, from the Charlie Strong days, uh, and we are extremely excited to share this episode with you. So thank you all so much for tuning in this offseason throughout the series of Where Are They Now? We are close to wrapping this up because the football season is just a couple of months away. We are getting closer and closer by the day, but I lived through the countdown. I know how many days are left between football season, thanks to our good friend John Cardinal Strong. Uh, because of the countdown. So that's always great to, that we're getting closer. And uh, as we get closer to the season, Matt, we've got some some great content coming over the next couple of weeks as we dive into what fans can really expect uh, from an X's and O's standpoint. I know we've talked a lot in the last couple of months, Matt, with players and really you know, gone down memory road, like I said, hop in that DeLorean and go back into the fine <laughs> days of Louisville football. But our bread and butter on this show is X's and O's and talking about some of the nitty gritty details of football. Football we're nerding. Gonna be, we're going to be doing that uh, over the next couple of weeks as we dive into uh, what to expect with Jeff Brom and what uh, what is ahead for Louisville football. But tonight it's all about Marcus Smith, uh, and we can't thank him enough for taking time out of his schedule to talk about uh, his football story. And so without further ado, we will jump in with Marcus Smith. From the Pink Seats podcast, where are they now? Thank you all so much for tuning in. As we mentioned in the intro, we've got a great guest tonight uh, for episode eight. The defensive line, man, has really dominated the guest list uh, this this year. <laughs> and I know each of them would be equally proud. A lot of teammates in there. It's really actually kind of interesting how it's all worked together. But tonight we welcome in Marcus Smith. Marcus, how are you, my friend? Welcome into the show. Man, uh, thank you for, for having me, man. I appreciate you having me on. I see you had some... I seen you had Lozo on there, so I was like, yeah, man, that's, yeah. He, he doing his thing over there in Canada. <laughs> that's got to get man. the gang all together. <laughs> that's right, man. Right. And it's almost, you know, it's like the 10-year anniversary, a little bit past it, or I guess, no, yeah, a little bit past it of, the, you know, the, the Sugar Bowl win. So it's fitting to have a bunch of former guys from that team on. We've talked to Jake Smith uh, earlier before the 2022 season, and now yourself, obviously Lozo. Uh, so it's been, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, man. But just, but let's dive right in. I, I want to talk to you. This is one of my my favorite questions I think we've asked so far on this series. How to ask you about the position transition that you went through because not very many people can say, you know what, man, I play quarterback uh, and then I played <laughs> defensive end in college. I don't know. Just uh, tell me about, first of all, we're, like I saw the stats. You seem like you, you know, kind of cold at, at quarterback. Like how did that happen? And tell me about how the transition overall went to ultimately playing defensive end. 
Man, this is so funny. I love I love talking about this, especially I talk about because I, I own a, a gym here in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. And I tell guys all the time, he's like, man, you used to play quarterback. And I was like, yeah, but uh, the next year, Teddy came in. You know, that's, you know, it's a little bit different, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was an athlete, but I, I wasn't Teddy Bridgewater. But but for me, that that transition, uh, what happened was I came into camp. I was a quarterback. Coach Strong gave me the promise because the only reason I came to Louisville was to play quarterback, right? And so he ended up giving me the promise. I said, I come to Louisville. Can I, can I play quarterback, though? He's like, yeah, yeah, you can play quarterback. But everything said athlete. Like, even on my description, it just said, hey, this is a three-star athlete. But in my mind, okay, I'm going to play quarterback. So I come in, play quarterback, threw a couple of interceptions. <laughs> I threw a couple of interceptions. And uh, we had uh, Adam Froman, who was a starting quarterback at the time. He uh, he was actually, I think, he was, I was probably like third string, right? And so I was always over there um, not not playing, and I was on the sidelines just looking, just taking notes or whatever, and then Coach Strong taps me on the shoulder, and he's like, what you think about playing defense? And I looked at him, and I was like, you know, whatever it takes to get me on the field, I'm I'm with that, you know? And um, he was like, well, would you be willing to, because we had two of day practice that day. He was like, well, would you be willing to to play defense like today? And I'm like, yeah, I would, I, I would definitely, I would do that. You know what I'm saying? So the second practice, I was a linebacker with a white Jersey in the second practice. Right. And I remember my coach was saying like, Hey man, like, you don't have to do this. Like, you know, you you can you can. I feel like we still have time to develop you, and you're gonna be fine, and you're gonna be be okay. And so I was like, no, it's okay, it's okay, coach. I, I think uh, I'm cool with the decision because to me, I felt like I don't know why I trusted Coach Strong so much at the time, but I just I don't know. It just felt like he knew something that I didn't know, and he seen something that I couldn't see, right? And I remember my first day. At practice, like every they was telling me all the plays for the first day, right? I was doing really well. Like I was doing extremely well. I ended up even starting the first game against Kentucky. But that transition was still very hard for me because I had to change from a quarterback mentality to a defensive mentality in which I didn't have at the time. Like, you know, very soft. Like I was just athletic. You know what I mean? I could just run around people. I could probably go get the quarterback. I could, you know, just be athletic, go tackle people. But just the nuance of, of playing the position and actually learn the position, it was hard because I've never played defense before in my life. So, yeah, that, that transition was – it was it was very tough. But in the, in the same breath, I'm, I'm glad it happened that way. And I, I just – in that moment, I just trusted – what Coach Strong was saying and not not really knowing that I would be good at it. Ben, what was it like that f- that first year to basically have to learn two different schemes? You get to Louisville, obviously you think you're going to play quarterback. You start to learn the ins and outs of the offense. And then halfway through the offseason, you you start to like take reps at like defensive end and defense and be on the defensive line and have to learn the ins and outs of that scheme. Like what was that whole process like of having to learn two different systems essentially? You better have loved football. That had to be that's <laughs> yeah. gotta be the answer, man. 
Yeah, it, it was it was tough. Actually, offense is a lot harder. Let me say that because what you have to learn being a quarterback, being a quarterback of the offense. I mean, me being on the offense helped me a lot on defense, right? Because I knew what the quarterback reads were. I just knew like what the tendencies were, even with the offensive alignment, right? It just helped me out a lot being on the the defensive side of the ball. But at first, when I first moved, they moved me to Sam linebacker. I was going up against Graham, like, and Graham was our, our starting tight end, in which he was, to me, he was really good. You know, he played for the tight end. I mean, he played for the Titans for a, a short period of time. And he got me better because he would pancake me almost every day, right? <laughs> so, I was, so I was going against him. Think about, and another hard thing about that too is was I came into school at two ten, right? I was two ten quarterback, and then by the time the season started, I was like two twenty eight, almost two thirty, right? So now I'm gaining weight that I've never had before. That's so a I'm, dangerous. I'm game, having man. to learn how to to play with this weight all in going into the season. I didn't have the off season to learn how to run with this weight. So now it's just all these things being thrown at me at, at once and I'm trying to juggle it all. And th that's kind of when, uh, you know, my anxiety, it had started before that, but it started to even come up even, even then too. It was tough. I, I will say it was tough, but the offensive side helped me going, to, going into the defense side, playing linebacker and then moving to, to defensive line. Jake Smith said on these airwaves long ago that Teddy Bridgewater learned uh, coverages from college football, the video game. I want to first confirm if you have ever played Teddy in, in that video game and what uh, what that was like for you. So, Teddy, when you talk about the video game, so <laughs> <laughs> I remember us being at the Sugar Bowl and he was tearing Florida, their, their team, he was tearing them up on the video game. So, <laughs> it is true. Like his coverages on on the video game is the same. It's exact same of him being on the field. That's how smart he is, right? And I give all the credit to him because uh, he was a, a true student of the game, and he he just knew. Anytime he got in the game, you guys remember even when he when we played Cincinnati that game, he was he had a broken wrist and like yes, like, angle, yeah. like how do you even like people don't even really know that or have talked about that but that's that deserves like almost like a documentary that season of him just in general what was it like just for your all's defense to try to attack teddy you know obviously i know it was a little bit of a transition with will and then teddy and it ultimately kind of came into his own but what was that like for you all and for you specifically going after a guy who's now one of the greatest in school history um, but going up against them every day, like in the spring, because most of the time in the spring, we wouldn't go, it would be ones versus ones, twos versus twos. So we'd get, get to go up against Teddy. It was almost like, so I went up against Tom Brady my first year, right? And I remember going against him in seven on seven and then going against him in team, right? There was no ball that hit the ground. It was like completion after completion after completion after, Right. That's what Teddy was like at, at Louisville, right? I'm not sure what he was like in Minnesota. I'm probably, I'm probably think he was similar, but it was no drop balls. It was like anytime he threw the ball, it was like the ball was out of his hand so fast. Coach Hurt was getting mad at us, and I'm like, listen, we're past, we're past rushing our our butts off, right? 
he he getting the ball out, it catch, and they 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 scoring, right? So it it got us so much better that when we play other people, it was like a cakewalk. You know what I mean? It, it just felt like there were games where I felt like we maybe lacked a little bit where we should have done a lot better. But because of in practice, and I'm going up against this All-American, I'm going up against Jamon Brown, I'm going up against Boosie, you know, I'm going up against all of these all of these guys. And it was just one of those things where we really got each other, each other better. And on game day, it just made it so much easier. From a developmental standpoint, you guys kind of start a little bit shaky, but you win five of six, head into that offseason ahead of the Sugar Bowl year. What was that like when you guys, when you look at in retrospect, did you did you know that you guys had something special on your hands before that Sugar Bowl year came here? 2012 year, I was um, I was a sophomore. I had moved to DN, and so that year we had. I think we won the Big East too before that. Before this, the Sugar Bowl run that we went, we we won the Big East, but we was like tied with everyone, and so. We knew we had something special um, because all the guys, everybody was pretty much young. Everybody was, uh, you know, you we Teddy was, he was still a, a, a true freshman that sophomore year. You had all of us on the D-line. If you realize, like, all, all eight of our D-linemen went to the NFL, played in the NFL at some point. Um, Amazing. And... <laughs> But we were all young at, at that time, we were sophomores and, and freshmen, right? You had some people, some seniors in there uh, who were still there, like Scruggs and and things of that nature. But like once Scruggs, once Scruggs left off the defensive line, it was just it was us. It was me, B. Dunn, Lozo, D. Mount, uh, Sheldon. He he didn't he didn't come into the Sugar Bowl year, but he mm-hmm. was a great addition as a freshman, right? So I think after that year, we had lost the belt bowl and we were so devastated by losing against NC, NC State that year. We, the offseason was crucial. And when we went into the offseason and everything, we came out ranked. I think we was at a top 25. Like they put us at a top 25 position. And that like just really gave us a boost. Like, yo, we got some, we really got something to work for. And we started off. I mean, that Sugar Bowl year, we started off, like, going at people. I remember Kentucky, we we beat them bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, the year before, uh, we beat Kentucky. We beat them on, like, the last play, mm-hmm. uh, which was – that was a big, big win for, for the school. So that's how we figured we knew we had something special. Kind of building off of that, you said you guys start the year top 25. You win your first nine games. Now, I know at that point – schools outside of the traditional power five weren't really viewed as legitimate potential title contenders. But I mean, when you win nine in a row, do thoughts start to creep in when you're thinking like, Hey, if we keep at this, we could have a shot at the title. If we, if we went undefeated, that we would have a shot at the national championship game. Now, whether or not they would have gave it to us um, would have been another story, but honestly, I think, that they would have, it could have, it could have went to us only because of the guys that we had on the team, right? Most of the guys that we had on the team were 
quote unquote power five guys. You know what I'm saying? Because we were in the Big East, but then, you know, they changed the conferences and stuff. And then, you know what I mean? But a lot of the guys were from Florida, Georgia, and we had a connection with Coach Strong. Coach Strong was at Florida, right? And though th- th- these are reasons why a lot of the guys went to Louisville because of the connection with Coach Strong. So the guys that Coach Strong was picking up are guys that are five-star, four-star, three-star athletes that could have went anywhere, right? So I think if if we would have been put on that stage, regardless of who we was playing, I think we would have stepped up to the challenge. And I think they 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 could have gave it to us, man. But yeah, thoughts do creep in. We thought, uh, yeah, man, we nine and no. You know, it probably we probably was thinking way too far ahead at, at that point, though, for real. We're going to talk a little bit more in detail here shortly uh, in our segment screen share, which we would encourage you to stick around for that because that's going to be great to to break that down in real time. But I do want to talk about that game a little bit. We talked to Lozo about this, and I think we, if I remember correctly, we asked Jake. But uh, Marcus, I don't know if you remember around that game, uh, Florida had lost maybe in the SEC championship or shortly before. Um, and started to kind of play this this game of, you know, we know we're better than them. This game doesn't really matter, blah, blah, blah. A lot of talk around that game. Uh, and it was uh, everyone really just kind of assumed that it was Florida that was going to win. I think Kirk Herbstreit was the only one on the actual uh, crew that day that picked Louisville to win. But did you guys like tell me how Coach Strong motivated you all for that? Obviously, he has all the motivation in the world going up against Florida uh, and Will Muschamp, who had no business being the head coach there. Uh, but just talk a little bit about what that looks like for you all, you know, to motivate your all's team to be able to go up and play against a team that was viewed as being, you know, one of the best in the country at the time. Man, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it, man. Wait till we pull the highlights up, man, because you get a, you get a sack <laughs> pretty early on. You're out there blocking. Y'all, 12, y'all taking man. me back down memory lane, man. Woo. That, hey, that's what um, this is all about, man, right here. I re- I'll never forget. The, the coaches, the defensive coaches was in the meeting room and they called the leaders up there. And I think they called me up there first. I, I was coming out of class. And uh, I think during class was when it came out that we were going to be playing Florida in the Sugar Bowl. I remember being in the training room, everybody's like, yeah, we're playing Florida. So I go upstairs, there there are, you know, you know the coaches, they are already watching film on, on Florida. They probably was watching film on them before the verdict even even came out, right? So we go in there, I think it was me and B done. Uh and I'm in there and Coach Strong, he's like, you watch the film. He said, You see this? He's like, Y'all better strap. <laughs> he was like, Y'all better strap y'all helmets. It's time, it's time to go. Right. And then I remember after that, after having that conversation with him, I was like, I'm like, yeah, man, it's time. We we ready. I think we're we're built for this. And we going to the 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 team meeting room and then you got the defensive hole meeting right and the energy in that room that day is something that i really can't explain because you had coach strong because he's a defensive coach you had coach hurt and then you had vance befford uh and you had coach uh uh coach bj right linebackers coach so uh the thought process in that room was hey we're going to control what we can control and we're going to win today. So I remember like we had padded practices every day. Like we was banging every day, literally like getting ready for this game. Like even when we got down to, um, 
well, New Orleans, even mm-hmm. when we got down to New Orleans, we were still in pads and we were still banging. And I, I remember like that just got us so motivated and focused and ready, especially as a defense to go up against the number three team in the nation, which is arguably a national championship team, right? The, the, you know, the team were, that's left out, right. Mm-hmm. They, they were so hot, you know, and, and, and to me it's like, okay, well, we've accepted the challenge. And leading up to that game, man, it, it almost got to the point where we were so tired of hitting each other. Yeah. It was like, no, it's yeah. time. And I, I do got to ask one thing. Obviously, you walk into the stadium, it's packed full of people, the energy is high, but it's all about setting the tone. First play, Jeff Driscoll dumps a small pass. It gets tipped. T. Floyd picks it off. What was the energy of the team when you get a pick six right out of the gate? Well, it was it was almost like it was written that way because Coach Befford called a blitz. He called a blitz with James Burgess, right? They rolled out into the blitz, right? And the the way that it was coming, I was coming around the backside. Mm-hmm. Um and he threw the ball and it was it was almost like T Foy was ready for what he was was doing. And he didn't I guess he didn't get enough on it, missed it a little bit, T Floyd being in the right spot. But after that, man, it was almost like some juice. Like it was almost like something had came over us. It's like that's what we needed because we was already hyped for the game. They come out. I remember they come out and like at, at first we all running out. They almost on our sidelines, like talking to us, like y'all, y'all ain't ready, you know, like saying a whole bunch of stuff before the game, right? And our, you gotta think, we already know that they ain't been practicing like us. Now, number one, they really y'all think y'all into this game, which y'all really, y'all really still thinking about that that other game that 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 happened where y'all couldn't go to the championship right we we knew that um because you know we was with them almost every day right they was coming over to our hotel we was going over we knew that it wasn't really we was focused and ready and prepared and and, and to go into that game so when that happened the sideline was electric and the defense went right back out there again and it was just like that's what we needed it was a it was an energy boost to continue to go throughout the game because we knew when Teddy get on this field, it's a wrap. So you have that first drive, right? We're going to get into all that. And again, we're going to get into this too, but just for the sake of in detail, because we'll move quickly, Mm -hmm. John Bostic just destroys Teddy. I mean, it looks like a hit that most quarterbacks don't get up from. What is for me, I didn't play football. See, I would, I would have probably been a problem, but I, I would have had a lot of aggression after that. That would have made me very angry. Did that like, that lights you all like a fire even more for you all to keep going yeah. and even further motivation. Yeah, it was, I, we didn't like it at all. Like we had seen it. Cause you know, we, everybody, if you know, Louisville team, especially when Teddy was there, nobody, like once we got the, the checks and the corrections from the coaches, we're standing up, we're watching Teddy, you know what I'm saying? Because we, in our minds, we like, yo, we we trying to see what Teddy gonna do because we know this this guy is great. But when that happened, we were standing up, and we was like, "Oh no, nah, nah, uh, uh-uh. uh, this this what's what's going on?" You know, we like, "Nah, bro, 
And then the, the way it happened, he got a flag, but he he thought, I don't know what he thought. I think it made Teddy mad too, though. And Teddy was like, oh, okay, oh, yeah. Let's yeah, go. I'll, I'll never, you know I'll never forget, I'll never forget watching it live and seeing him get up after that. He had that mean mug on his face, like you could tell he his helmet came off. It seemed like after that he started slicing and dicing them, like just, I mean, mm-hmm. every time, you know what I'm saying. But you got to think, think about what Teddy is thinking about right now, right? Because you got to know, like when when you get in the game, the game plan, things things change in the game plan, right? And so, uh, even with that. If you notice throughout the game, he started getting the ball out a little bit, a little bit faster, right? Started to to make checks and make different reads to offset the defense because um, that's what NFL ready quarterbacks do. When we talk about adding stuff like that, that's that's what he does. He's he he makes those checks. And uh, once we got on the on the field, it was like we wanted to inflict pain on the offense because we knew that they can hold us. They really couldn't. I wish, honestly, I felt like we could have beat them even, even worse than we, than we did. It did feel like I that believe. at times, which is crazy. Yeah. It, I mean, it really did. <laughs> There's a couple of missed opportunities and in, in late in the game. I mean, even now for Louisville fans, I mean, to be quite on a train, team, you know, but, no, you're not playing scrubs at this point. I mean, for what, yeah. what it was, I mean, to win the way that it, that it went down 33 to 23. I mean, that's a historical win for a reason. So let's fast forward a little bit, right? So at this point you're playing defensive end, defensive line for about two and a half years. But you are obviously a little foreshadowing. You don't know this at the time, but you're getting ready to embark on one of the most dominant seasons in Louisville football history. Uh, did you start to come into your own and feel like from a weight, height, size standpoint that you were there? Like, did you start to feel the instinctual part of football kicking in for you? How do you go yeah. from being a quarterback two years later to getting ready to do a, a, you know, have a 16 and a half sack season and be a first round NFL draft pick? Yeah, um, my... Going into my junior year, uh, I had a great spring. And you got to think, we had the same coaches. All my four years there, we had the same coaches. And that helps out a lot. If you ask anybody who has been in a, a certain particular system and they have the same coach and you know the, you know the coach, you know what the plays they're going to run, you just uh, you have a fam- uh, a familiar spirit when it comes to what they're gonna do. So going into my junior season, which was my sophomore um, spring, I had a great spring. Like it was it was it wasn't much that Coach Hurt had to correct me on because I was so fluent with the scheme. That's why why you started to see me. They started to use me a lot more because I became smarter in the scheme could do a lot of things in the scheme. They would have me play joker. They would have me play middle linebacker. They would have me at three technique. You know, a lot of times, if you didn't notice when being uh, in a sugar bowl, they would put me at a three. And they like, they put all, they put all basically the top rush guys in the game and they would put me at three technique. So I'm rushing on the guard and I'm like 250, you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, right. Uh, he had the best players on the field, but but that's it. Seemed like I took a huge step because of um, me actually being in the system for uh, two years, right? I had a, a okay um, junior year, and then I, I I balled out in the Sugar Bowl, right? And then just going into that year, you it's it's almost hard not to follow up 
and want to get better because now I have the confidence. Now I have what everything that Coach Hurt instilled in me. And I want to tell you guys this too. A lot of people don't know that Coach Strong was actually about to switch me to tight end, right? And because, you know, I can catch, I can run, you know, even my junior year, I caught like two-point conversion. I don't know if y'all remember that. Uh, and I caught a slant in a two, on a two-point conversion too. Um, See, that makes me happy right there. It's the backstory of the show we don't need to get into. But that, first of all, defensive player scoring, love that. Slant, Vince, Lococo, right. if you're listening he, to this, buddy. He on, loves on slants. The, he loves the best slants. Route. Look, man, it's yeah. the best route in football. There's no, hands down. Congrats to you on being a slant king, man. <laughs> so, so basically what happened was, we had no tight ends, right? All our tight ends that went down, we had no tight ends at camp. And so Coach Strong was going to just put me to tight, at tight end and, and want me to play tight end, but Coach Hurt said, no, you're not going to tight end. You're getting better at this position. Um, I don't want it to stop your growth in this position. And you got to tell Coach Strong no. And I'm like, I got to tell the head man, no, I can't. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Tell him no? Yeah, I don't want to not feel like a team player, you know what I'm saying? But he sat me down and was like, look, I need you to understand that. And this was going into um, my junior year, actually. This was going into my junior year. He said, you're going to make a lot of money playing this position. I need you to stick with it, please. And so mm. at that point, right, I had a great spring, right, because that – Think about somebody telling you that. You have a coach that really believes in you like that and say, and your dream is to go to the NFL, but you're not thinking about the NFL. You just just playing, right? And they tell you, like, yo, this is a guy who coached Calais Campbell, all these top guys. So I really respect him in that regards. And he's telling me that. So that gave me a boost that like like no other. And so going into my senior year, I I remember Coach Coach Hurt, he came to me again in the hallway. And he was like, look, if you get 10 sacks this year, you're going to go first round. That's what he told me, right? So going into my senior year, I just felt – I felt confidence. I felt like a leader. I felt like people was leaning on me to be that leader. And that's kind of that's kind of how I went into it. Was it – obviously, you go on your junior year, you put up – I think it was 16 and a half snacks, 19 TFLs. But you was it at, you want to try that again? 16 and a half snacks. That's what you got, not him. Don't label that on him. <laughs> it, it was four, it was 14 and a you half. You know what's funny? It See, the internet the, the internet lies because it says 16 and a half on your profile on stats reference. So I just want to throw that out there that I saw 14 and a half on the graphic. <laughs> so it was my senior, so my senior year, I had 14 and a half, and I had like 21 TFLs or something like that. Yeah, just stupid. Thanks, they, they just be, I think they just be putting. I just think they just be putting stuff. <laughs> okay, regardless, you balled out. <laughs> but yeah. was it at that point in spring with Clint Hurt that you realized that hey, the NFL is mine for the taking? Yep, yep. I, I think I realized when I had two sacks uh, in the Sugar Bowl. And right after that, an uh, insurance company came to me and said, hey, we'll give you a million dollars insurance policy. That's when I knew that it was serious because they were basing a million dollars insurance policy over, over what my stock was going into my senior year. They know, but it was from third round to fifth round. And I'm like, wow. Like, so you mean to tell me 
you're going to give me an insurance policy just in case I get hurt and I will receive the money that I would have received if I would got drafted third to the fifth round, basically. And so that's when it became real serious for me because that's when I really understood like, yo, I really got a shot. But it was because of what I did against Florida on the biggest stage, right? Everybody was watching, scouts were there. Um, I don't know if they knew anything of me really that much before, um, but because, you know, when when you play a team like that, people can't help but notice that. And so I think that's when it really started to become a reality for me, too, um, when I realized that, you know, you got insurance companies saying, hey, we, we can do this for you. I, I would have had a hard time turning down a million dollars. Not going to lie. I mean, look, I would have. <laughs> So, you know, you get a million dollars in a couple months or you take it now. Tough decision either way. But it, it's a perfect transition into talking about that last year. And I want to specifically go. Uh, I, I brought this up with a, a couple weeks ago with D'Angelo Brown and Vince, who's not on tonight, got on me. He's like, bro, he lost four D games in his, in his college career. And you're going to go to the one that he lost. Central Florida, though, that's the game that I think most fans, when you talk about the chance at a national championship, that's almost up there with Rutgers back in 2006 in terms of if Louisville just wins that game, it's a different story. Is there anything in that Central Florida game just that you ever pond that you think about, you're laying your head on pillow at night? I know you probably think about a million other things, not Louisville football back in 2013, but do you ever think back on that game and say, what if we had won, what could we have done again, you know, potentially? There have been conversations. Uh, from our teammates. Yeah, group chat, and, right? That's a group chat topic, I'm sure. Yeah, it's um, it's tough. That game was really won by us, right? And I think we let the foot off the gas too early. Like, and the crazy part about it is <clears throat> we were beating them and we were getting cussed out in the locker room, like, because they, they knew what we were capable of. And they would kept telling us, like, y'all can't let these guys hang around. Like, why you keep letting them hang around? Right? We need we gotta get this together. We gotta get all the checks. We gotta get all the reads. We gotta we gotta be in cohesiveness. Like we we need to make sure and I think in in that game, it just like stuff start even even when we came out of halftime, I think uh quick he scored. He scored a touchdown, I think, uh, off a punt or uh, something happened. Somebody, it was a block punt or something. He he scored off of it, and it was just it was just small stuff that kept happening that we couldn't. It's almost like we couldn't come back from. We knew that in order to get a national championship and in our conference, we would have had to go undefeated, and like that was that was it. Like we still won every game after that, but it was still like, dang man, like you you want you want that that championship, man. You ever get a chance to sack Blake Bortles again in the NFL? I don't know. I don't have your stats pulled up in front of me. But was he a quarterback you ever got to? And then tell him like that's what you get. Did not <laughs> actually didn't even have that many sacks in the NFL. That's crazy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, in the NFL, I was actually like more of a rotational guy in the NFL, right? And uh, my first guy in the NFL that I sacked was Eli. That's yeah, man. I watched that earlier. Mm. Nice pass rush move, by the way, man. I, I was Thank a nice you. one. Thank you. Know? you. <laughs> I um, like it, man. But it was Eli, then it was uh, 
thing with Dak? Dak. Yeah, man. Yeah. Look at that. Tyron yeah. Smith, another one, man. I was watching the highlights. Yeah. Went down of the rabbit hole today, Marcus man. Smith on the internet, man. Look, you you predate the internet just slightly in terms of the <laughs> I mean, I wish I, I would have did a lot more. You know what I'm saying? I wish I would have did a lot better, played, you know, five to six years. But, um, you know, Eli... That you know, those, those not are a bad point to come, <laughs> yeah. So, we'll, we'll yeah. get into all that uh, on the other side uh, as we dive in a little bit deeper into post Louisville football with, with Marcus here. Uh, so stay tuned and we'll, we'll do that. And of course, we'll, we'll start as we come back from the other side of the commercial break. We'll look at uh, we'll dive into screen share. We're going to look at the Florida game a little bit more in depth and talk about some of the specifics. Marcus is going to get annoyed with my football analysis uh, because it's, it's never about football. It's always about something extracurricular. So we'll get into that on the other side uh, with, the Florida, with the Florida Sugar Bowl. We'll be right back. We're back on the other side from the Pink Seeds podcast. Where are they now? Jacob Lane, Matt McGavick, no Vincent LeCoco tonight, but we're joined by Marcus Smith, former Louisville football uh, defensive end, 2010 to 2013. And we are getting ready to watch what is one of the biggest wins in Louisville football history. It is a night I will never forget in my life where I was. The rule was, was that every time Louisville scored, you had to take a shot and it was Crown Royal we were drinking. And we didn't expect oh. Louisville to score that many times. So let me just tell you that. So by the end of the night, I was in a good spot. Uh, everybody has a story like that though but uh, tonight on screen share as we do each episode we're going to dive into this and break this down in real time with somebody who was there and experienced this uh, so marcus man this is all about about you giving us some of the backstory and we'll dive into it now no sound as usual but great to see Stuart scott here at the beginning of the clip and then talk about r.i.p to a, to a goat wow, now Muhammad Muhammad Ali. Ali, and here it is the play we talked about marcus is somehow like gone on the screen there if you notice that but uh, the pick by terrell floyd Give me your Ooh. your action of this right here. You were ready to hit somebody, I could tell. Yeah, look at that. Look at that. Oh yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. Cause, um, <laughs> yep. Cause oh, I'm actually man. coming around the top. Uh, T. Floyd, he he picks it off, and then you know after that, uh, I think we go back to the sideline. But that that play really sparked everything that you see right here. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I think he completed that. Even, I was about to say, he, he, was that a complete pass? He completed I think he that did. ball. Look at that. Look at you. Look at the sideline. My God. If you look at the sideline. You could tell. You can tell by looking at the sideline how hype the team is. Like wow, man. Look yeah. at that. Oh yeah, he yeah. caught that. Jeremy Wright was a great block there, though. That was a nice little run, little pass block. Look at that, man. Oh God, poor Teddy, man! Gosh. Helmet came off in every. Time. See, there's oh, that mean bug that. right there. See, that's what I was talking about. Yeah, that okay. mean bug by Teddy. Yeah. See, man, I play. Yeah. I actually played with Boxer at, um, at the. Uh, well, not the commander. It was the Redskins at the time. But Look at that, BJ. I Butler played got, with Boxer. Got robbed of a touchdown, man. Oh, did Boxer go to Washington? That was definitely after? a touchdown. Yeah, he 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 played in Washington for like three years. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 man. Did you tell him that that wasn't very nice? Um, I told him like, bro, what, what was you thinking? Like, you, just made, you, you just made Teddy that much more mad, and we just started scorching. He was like, yeah, man, I I, I probably shouldn't have did that. You know right, what I'm saying? So, so for this throw right here, the Teddy Bridgewater back of the end zone, over the shoulder throw to Devontae Parker, no one at Louisville has been able to complete a pass like this since then. I mean, this throw right no. here, that's how you get, that's how you become a first round pick. That throw, I mean, but it's first round. First back, if you go back, right? Look at, remember what I told you earlier, right? They were trying to throw certain blitzes at Teddy, 
and Teddy was cooking him because look, oh, he got yeah. Bonte. He's 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 pressed, so he already sees that my guy's pressed right here. He's throwing. Teddy is he didn't even he's not even setting up because he knows that they're blitzing him. He threw it off his back foot. Look at yeah, him. I was about to say he's got to throw it off his back foot. <laughs> got he threw it off his back foot, him, man. Sourpuss face. What is this formation? Hold on. What do you call this, man? man? I'm not a football guy. So what do you call that? I, I forgot what they – it was some type of formation that we had to get ready for uh, during the year that we knew that they were going to run. You guys knew was, this was coming at some point? I have never seen anything yeah. like this before. Yeah, because they did it during the season. And you got to think really? – uh, Coach Strong is from Florida, so that's true. Yeah, you know, and given like we didn't know it was actually going to be coming at this point in time, but we did know that they had it in their their game plan of what, what they were doing. I feel like that scores see, every time. You can't stop. But I mean, you see, Florida had to, you know, throw some yeah. trickery out there. Right, and here they go again, trying to throw some trickery out. I mean, it's just nonstop can't trickery. Even. No, not when yeah. you're getting your ass kicked twenty-four to ten, man. It's not. That's well, not we knew this was coming too. Because you got to find a way to get back in the game. And look at them. They're right. mad, man. They're ready to try to fight. That's how – I mean, that's thats when you know you've lost the war right there, man. And they well, said they didn't care about that game. <laughs> who, hold on. But who's 26? Who got punched in the face? Who is this, man? He took a punch oh, in the helmet. Uh, who is that? Um, oh, man. Oh, oh, good lick. See, see that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he took it, man. I mean, oh, that's Zed. That is Zed. Okay, yeah, no, yeah. He, did you know? He, uh, probably didn't know he threw a punch in the middle of the game like that, did you? No, yeah, we did because we seen it on Jumbotron. I remember See, I, that. Uh, I, I would have been, been ready to fight so many instances. But I mean, the preparation for for the week. I mean, and then here's they, another throw. Were, exactly. Like, look at that. It's perfect. The, the, the DC. The thing with this coverage is the the, the corner. I mean, I, he was getting tossed around, turned around. Looked like he's. I, I played with that corner at, at the Eagles. He actually it, got a Super Bowl with the Eagles. That's Jalen Watson. That shows you, man. That just shows. And you. and I tell you what, I mean, Devontae Parker gets all the love from pass catching standpoint during that era, but Damian Copeland was the truth too. And don't was, forget about Kai, Kai man. The, the the yeah, Kyle was man, Kyle was a dog. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, don't honey forget. mustard and ketchup. I remember yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't you can't forget about those guys. You know what I'm saying? And if Michael Lee wasn't hurt, he was a, he was a you know. Yeah, no, it looks like been, was really good. The the number of guys. I mean, it's just you could go on and on and on. But this right here is Andrew Johnson interception late in the four, early in the fourth quarter, and I was. One of my favorite Andrew Johnson moments, actually my favorite Andrew Johnson moment, is the blown kisses to the West Virginia fans the year, the yeah. two years prior in Morgantown, man. Yep. My dude, my dude. The block field goal. Definitely a trip down memory lane. And a kick return, it's, it's nice, man. But you guys probably taking the foot off the gas a little bit right there. Let's... That shouldn't have happened, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're you're thinking about when you're get, when you get back and it's time to hit ten roof. That's what y'all were thinking about, man. <laughs> let's be let's be honest. I mean, we we knew that they were good, you know what I'm saying? But like, oh yeah, this is that. There it is, man. There it is. Let's go. There. The thing is, the like, same guy that was talking all that mess before the game too. You know, can we wind that better? Wind that, better. that tackle was he the one that was talking all that good stuff? Yeah, right here. Yeah. No, let's go back uh, one more. I forgot, his, I it's forgot a two, his name. Two point conversion. So they don't count yep. your sack as an official sack. No, they didn't. I counted two sacks this game, but hey, you know, 
Okay, so first off, tell me, break it down two hand, like right in his face mask. I mean, it, it's not a face mask, though. It's not, not a hand to the face. It's, it's called on. He got off so fast, and you got to understand, like, as a, as a tackle, when you have a fast guy and you get off the ball fast enough, you can, because I'm, I'm not stronger than him, but because he's off balance, I pushed. I just pushed him where he, he wanted to go. And a lot of times, when the tackle isn't square and their and their butt is faced to the sideline, um, they're not you know stable. So me getting off the ball, got got off the ball real fast. He's actually trying to recover his steps because I got off the ball so fast. And so I would just put my hands on him as he's trying to recover, and he doesn't have any power from that. So that's why. It looked like that. It looked like I was strong as I don't know what, but it's really just me using my body <laughs> to his. You know what I'm saying? See, it's all about leverage. That's right, man. Leverage. That's, that's right. all it's about. That's- well, that's going to wrap up screen share here. A great trip down memory lane, as we mentioned, uh, Louisville and Florida, the Sugar Bowl back in 2013. Let's finish with post-Louisville life. You get into the NFL draft. What were your expectations? I mean, you, I know you had said you kind of thought there was trending towards first round, but – Take me back through the combine, through pro day, through workouts. Where, how are you feeling about kind of where you were going to end up? Oh man, I actually, I didn't know. I didn't know at first. Um, I always felt like I was a first round talent. Um, I didn't know what to expect from the NFL, but I knew that if I had the opportunity, because of the conference I played in, I knew that they wanted to they're going to want to see me more. They're going to want to see me perform and things of that nature because they want to see me go up against the best of the best, right? And quote unquote, people were saying like, y'all weren't really going up against anybody, right? So I got a call and I was elected at the senior bowl. So that was the first place that I actually got to show my talents, right? And I didn't play D-line. They had me playing Sam linebacker the whole time. Right. So I rarely got to rush at all. Like I would go down there and we would rush. I would be with the linebackers going up against running backs, but then they would let me go down there and rush. So I would go down there and rush for a couple of plays and now I have to go back. But I played Sam that whole game and uh, my stock went up because of that practice, because they seen like, oh, man, this kid can if we need him to play Sam, which that's what they see me as like in the league. then cool. Like we can play Sam. So. I left there very high, you know, very, you know, feeling good about what they were saying, the feedback that I got. So I'm like, okay, my next step is the combines. And I was out next uh, in Arizona training at Exos. Um, so I knew that was my next step. So I would have needed to go to the combine, do really well, run well. And then me running well, I felt like I could at least, you know, solidify my spot possibly right um so i ended up going there combine ran a four six you know i was happy about that i didn't run again after that either (laughs) (laughs) you run that you're like yep not tempting it (laughs) no i i ran it i i ran the combine didn't run again at pro day i just did all of it so smart man. So obviously we know eventually that leads to you getting picked first round by the Eagles. But at one point, did you know that like the Eagles were going to be the ones to pick you? And what other teams were kind of, you know, in the mix for potentially selecting you, like setting up pre-draft meetings with you, that whole spiel? Yeah. So 
Um, I met with a lot of teams at the Senior Bowl, and then I met with a lot of teams at um, the Combine. But the Eagles actually was a team that I got to meet with during the meeting process. It was a team that flew me in that I actually got to meet with there, met with Chip Kelly, met with um, the defense, I mean, the linebackers coach. And, you know, I felt like I, I won them over for sure. Now, I found out later when I did – well, I, I'll tell you all that later. That's that's about when I got drafted. But, um, uh, no, that, that, that process going into it, I definitely did meet with the Eagles. I met with all, like, the NFC East team. I met with the, uh, the Redskins too because – well, obviously, the Commanders. Um, got to be because, politically correct on this show. Thank you for, for right, clarifying. right. Thank you. The, the the Eagles were at twenty. Well, they they, you know, they, I guess, I don't want to say drafted back, but they 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 went back into the draft, right? And then that's what that's why they got me. They they pushed back. The Redskins with the Commanders now. The Eagles, the Titans, all of these teams like were three, four teams. So those were the more of the so of the teams of my body type. We're, we're looking at me, right? Mm-hmm. And so what happened in a draft was I was actually slated to go second round. That's why I didn't get it. That's why I didn't get invited to the draft. Because people ask me all the time, like, why didn't you go to the draft? I was like, I didn't get invited, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't want me in the I green room. Invited. Really, because nobody, nobody seen except for me not even my agent, nobody really seen that, hey, I'm going first round. I'm the only one that really was saying, like, yeah, I'm going first round. I don't know how, but I'm going. And that day, the draft, it was like um, all the defensive ends, pass rushers, everybody was going off the board. So, you know, I, I, I was the fifth or sixth pass rusher on everybody's board. So when you have the first five go off the board, I just move up. So that's what happened. You know what I'm saying? Jadavion went, got Khalil Mack, uh, Ryan Shea. was the Khalil Mack draft, yeah. D, D4, like, I came literally after D4. So that's how I, that's how I got the first round. <laughs> that's crazy, man. All right, well, I want to – well for you. <laughs> I want to start to transition into some more of the mental health conversation and talks around that. And, and some of these questions are going to be, you know, flat out for our audience, a little uncomfortable, probably, you know, not questions we're normally asking here. Uh, but I want to ask you first round pick. Um, you had a quote that I read that really stood out. You said, even though I was living my dream on the field, I was stuck in a nightmare off of it. Yeah. And you mentioned that some of that was in your career at Louisville, but when did that really set in? in the NFL is that post draft leading into camp is that during camp first season like when does that really start to become more of not something that you can turn off or ignore so I I could always turn it turn it off because I always explain it like this you know as a young person when you are rolling out of bed and you're going to play sports and stuff you don't have to stretch as much. You don't have to do all the things. You can just go run and go play and nothing nothing really happens. But as you get older, you have to stretch. You have to take care of your body. So that's the same with your, your mental health. So over time, I was able to just muscle through a lot of the stuff that I was dealing with. So even at Louisville, um, it would be times where I wasn't eating. 
or sleeping or things of that nature. But it really didn't affect me affect me as much because I was still young. Um, I could still play on an empty stomach. I could still play uh, without much sleep, right? But over time, that wears on you. And so this same process, I would go through the same thing when I got to the league, right? And so now on top of me being in the league and playing in the NFL, a dream that was something that I always dreamed of, now I have added pressures. Now you got family. Now you have the fans. Now you have the coaches. And on top of you having to perform to continue your career, right? So there are a lot of expectations, right? And I didn't necessarily know how to deal with that because I was the first one in my family to ever make it that far. And so I didn't realize how tough it was going to be at first. And so that's when it really started to 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 play into or it started to come into effect that first camp but i just did what i normally did i just kept kept going and just kept pushing through not realizing i was making it worse did the did the pressure and the expectations of being a first round pick kind of play into that especially uh to the fact that when you were picked there were a lot of fans that like you said earlier didn't expect you to be a first-round pick. Did that kind of play into that as well? And especially in Philadelphia, yeah. you know what I mean? Like that that their fan base is known for being a little yeah, more they, aggressive. They, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. They 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 were like, "Who is this guy? Like, what is going on?" I remember, you know, what I'm saying they was bored when I when I got picked. <laughs> it's like Christoph Porzingis with the Knicks back in the day, man, getting booed um, as a first rounder. I wasn't I wasn't mature yet. You know, and people, a lot of times, you know, people get a cliche answer like, uh, I'm ready for this or I'm built for this for this moment. I don't really I don't really listen to the noise, things of that nature. But I was, you know, I was listening to what people were saying about me, what the critics were saying and, you know, having to do press conferences and and reporters throwing little snippets at me or little gestures, little stuff out at me that I really, you know, necessarily wasn't ready for. And afterwards, I'm like, dang, these people, I felt like I was in a place of, it was almost, have you ever heard Kobe talk about um, when he was going through his scandal with his wife and, and all those things happening at the hotel, right? and how they were treating him when he was at different arenas, how they were chanting some of the stuff that he was going through off the court, right? So he was like, man, it's like a whole bunch of things on, on, that are bombarding his place of peace. So it was kind of similar in that regards. Like my place of peace is now being bombarded with the media, you know, family, like uh, and on top of me, you know, having to perform, right? And so. My whole first year was like a handicap year because I literally handicapped myself on the football field because I didn't know how to deal with my anxiety. My anxiety turned into depression. I would sit in my room and cry all the time thinking something's wrong with me. Like, bro, what is wrong with me? You know what I'm saying? Like coaches is getting on to me. Like uh, I would have different teammates come up to me like, yo, you, you know, the coaches in the meeting room, they saying, you suck, man. They saying, they, you know, I'm, I'm sitting next to a pro bowler 
who's telling me this, right? Who's a big name, you know, for the Eagles, who is going to be a Hall of Famer, right? I'm I'm sitting next to this guy. He's telling me what they're saying upstairs. So now the confidence that I had when I was at Louisville, where some someone was instilling so much confidence in me, it was the total opposite when I got to the Eagles, right? Because you're a pro now, right? You have to fame for yourself. You have to perform, right? And that, that's what, what it was at the time when I was in with, you know, the Chip Kelly era. It just wasn't – I was, it was something that I wasn't necessarily ready for. It wasn't the same as me being on a team with Coach Strong, right? So uh, I had to learn how to navigate my career with, you know, being strictly about business. And that was, that was hard for me. So take me through the end of the tenure with Philadelphia. Um, you know, you obviously have the the contract situation where they decide to kind of hold off on that fifth year option. And then ultimately in 2017, they part, you guys part ways um, and you go to Seattle um, and obviously, you know, just reading from the the Players Tribune, which I would highly encourage anyone that is a Louisville fan or not a Louisville fan listening to this show to look up and read I'm Still Here, written by Marcus Smith for the Players Tribune back in, what is this, 2020? Uh, yeah, October mm-hmm. 20, uh, 2020, so right mm-hmm. at the end of COVID. But you write about that uh, the journey to Seattle is ultimately where things kind of hit the peak in terms of everything really reaching ahead of uh, something happening in your life, whether it be you taking your own life or getting help. And ultimately, thankfully for you and for your family, uh, there's a very divine intervention of sorts that happens for you. Uh, but take me through what it was like in Seattle and and really how it started to go from being something that you could manage to really kind of just controlling and taking over you. Yeah, man, it, it was it was it was a tough, tough situation. Um, you know, the Eagles, they didn't pick up my fifth year. Um, which I, I knew that they weren't going to do that because if you look at the business side of of what football is, um, I didn't really play my first year. Um, I didn't really have a good good year, right? Second year, I'm making some strides, but then I get hurt at the beginning of the year, right? Um, so I get hurt at a point where I still got to prove myself even as a first-rounder. Um, and then – uh, so I, I didn't really play as much still my second year. I got got some playing time, but I didn't prove myself enough in camp for them to say, like, hey, you deserve to be out here, right? And so you got to look at it as a business, right? I haven't played in two years. They're paying me X amount of dollars, right? I really only got one year to really prove myself. And so I actually, my third year was my best year, um, but I didn't prove enough for them to say, hey, we're going to pick up your fifth year and whatnot. And so they didn't pick it up. Uh, at the end of my third year, they asked me to take a pay cut. I told them, no, you can go to hell. I said, no, you can go to hell. So uh, I, I had planned on, uh, I wanted to go back with Coach Hurt, right? And I knew that if I got cut, I would be able to pick where I wanted to go. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But if I would have took the pay cut they could have traded me somewhere and you know it would have been maybe a place that I I didn't want to go right so I ended up going to Seattle and these issues never left right I'm I'm still dealing with them right I ended up playing my fourth year in Seattle had a had a had a good year I, I actually came back 
I'm with my old coach. I'm back to doing what I'm doing. Like I didn't have the sacks that I had in, in college, but I'm, you know, I'm getting there. Like I'm, I'm starting to build my career back. Right. But there's something that's still tugging on me. Right. This is anxiety, depression. This, this thing is still tugging on me that I still haven't addressed, still haven't went to a therapist and things of that nature. And so going into my fifth year, I signed a $2.7 million deal. Um, but one year deal basically saying, Hey, you, you do well, you prove us that you could do well, like how you did last year, we'll extend you. Right. And so after that, um, I started dealing with the same thing during camp, couldn't eat, sleep, bags under my eyes, um, having anxiety attacks at night. Uh, it started to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And so I just got tired of it. Honestly, you guys, I, don't, I got tired of it. Um, I thought something was wrong with me. And I'm a God-fearing man, you know, mm -hmm. and God. And I just got tired. My wife was pregnant at the time. And, you know, we would talk all the time. But I just, I still wasn't conveying to her, like, yo, like, I'm really feeling like I'm not even here right now. Right? So one morning I get up, and I literally, I, I on the bed, like looking at her, I get in the car and I start to drive, right? And, you know, I tried to basically commit suicide twice, right? And um, the, the only thing that stopped me really was my wife called me once, right? I jerked the car back out of frustration, you know, because when you, when you get a call and your car is on Bluetooth, it comes through the car. So if you can think, if you can... Imagine me like being so far gone to the point where a call would snap me out of what I'm doing, right? Rushed her off the phone, then her mother-in-law called me after that. And by the time I'm done talking to her, I'm at the bottom of the hill. And that's when I realized like, I truly need help, you know, because um, it was important for me to be there for my daughter who is four now, right? For my son who is two now, right? And that was that was the point where I told my coach, Coach Hurt, and I told Pete Carroll that like, I have to walk away. I have to take care of my mental health first so I could be the very best person, father, and then football player that I can possibly be. That's what my that's what my healing journey started. But it, it all started, I never addressed it before. And I, I just want to speak to whoever is going to be listening to this. Listen, it's okay to address some of your issues now. Even if you don't really understand what it may be, it's okay to, to seek help in a way of to try to figure it out. Because you don't want to get to a certain point of where I was, right? Because a lot of times, man, it's no point of return right and god allowed me to be here to tell you that and obviously after your stint with seattle you had that brief stint with washington but how hard was it for the betterment of your mental health and overall well-being to walk away from the game of football it was hard because i'm walking away from millions of dollars walking away from a game that I love. But at that point, I was just so fed up with 
what I was dealing with. I remember going into my uh, afterwards, I felt so relieved. Like my heart was like, it, it felt like weight was lifted. And I remember crying like for a very long time. And I couldn't understand why like I was just, it was like me draining like a whole bunch of fluid out of me it felt it felt really good i went and got some wings too i was like hey man you know what i'm saying anything up, bro i know i, know I, I was goes. just I, I went and got some wings i'm like yo this feels amazing i went to therapy uh that they put me with a therapist um in seattle and it was it was it was refreshing to actually just take care of me you know what i'm saying because i had been Worrying about other people, I had been, I had to really evaluate, okay, what am I really doing this for, right? And that time where I took, I actually went home, I was able to see my wife, I mean, yeah, I was able to see my daughter born. And uh, actually after that, I don't know if people really know, but after that, I went back to training Right, because now there is a process that I have to find out for myself, right? Um, what I'm going through, what I've been going through, I have to now utilize the the things that I've learned about myself. I found out who the real Marcus Smith was, and now I have to put these things into action. And that's how I actually, that's how I got to the Redskins at the end of the year in November. I was able to go back and finish what I started. You, you, you mentioned that after you, you had that feeling where it felt like the fluid drained out of you, it felt like the weight came off of your shoulders. How much easier was it once you got to that point for you to just continue on with your, your journey of self healing? And once you got to that point, did that give you the confidence to tell yourself, to tell yourself that you can, you can, Pull yourself out of this hole. Um, in therapy, I was blaming football a lot of the times at first. Like, football is the reason. Like, if I, I always been feeling like this. Like, I don't know why I'm feeling like this. Every, you know, football always had me feeling like this. And I realized, like, it had nothing to do with football. I realized that my first anxiety attack was when I was eight years old and I was like wow I've been dealing with this my whole entire life and I never said anything so think about that being from eight years old masking everything that you've seen that you did thinking it's a part of you you know what I'm saying you just like ah it's just a part you're just going throughout your day but not realizing like this is something that eventually I got diagnosed with this like I had to go to an actual mental health facility um, when I was done playing, I got diagnosed with anxiety and de depression disorder, PTSD disorder from the things that I've seen, you know, over over my lifetime. And so um, I knew once I actually started to unpack that, I knew the healing process because I'm still healing today, y'all. I, I really am. I'm still figuring out myself today. We, we You know that healing is a journey is not something that oh, yeah. you just get over. Right. in one day right so but i i knew that the healing process would would be tough 
but it would be easier for me to go through talking to someone who's unbiased, who doesn't know me from a campaign. And I could just go through like my everyday stuff, right? Like right now, like it's hard to stay on a schedule, right? Because I'm speaking, I'm doing all these things. God has blessed me with all these things, but it's still, it's still overwhelming. Right. right. So if I go talk to someone about it, right, how can I bring myself back down to Zen and get out of this anxiety state, stuck state? Right. It's tough. Right. But because I have somebody to go to, it makes it easy for me to go to through that tough process. Well, that is a great uh, segue into the last bit of the show here. And normally we would end with rapid fire and we would talk about your favorite spots to eat, the quarterback that you enjoy hitting the most. But in uh, true sake of talking about what's important, I want to talk about the circle of M. Uh, that is mm-hmm. your nonprofit organization that you have founded and run now uh, and spend a lot of your time uh, investing into the lives of others. And, and the website, I love what you, what you all have here is the mission is to break the negative mental health stigma and unmask the feelings that cause anxiety and depression. So for the next couple of minutes, as we wrap up the show, Marcus, just tell us, you know, what, what you're doing with this organization and, and how you are taking your experience and sharing it uh, across the United States and across, you know, the world. Well, man, it's important. We're, we're partnered up with uh, NAMI, which is number one mental health organization. I'm an ambassador for them. So I, I go to, to different conferences and I speak about mental health and life. I am a life coach now. Uh, so I, I do life coaching through my nonprofit. Um, and we also are working on uh, a uh, mentorship program um, that will help athletes, not only athletes, but people. Uh, with, you know, their everyday life and how to structure, uh, you know, some of the things that are dealing with. That's why we say anxiety, depression, because a lot of times anxiety, depression is mirrored. But at the same time, the feelings that cause that you may, you don't know that. Right. Or know those feelings. Right. And so that's why we do a lot of awareness. That's why we have a podcast just like you guys, because we're trying to bring so much awareness through maybe some of the things that we're talking about you can actually start to put a name to what you may be feeling. And then that will help you along, maybe maybe make you think like, hey, maybe I should go talk to someone. Or maybe I should express some of the things that I'm feeling to, to someone else. So that's that's all that we're doing. We're bringing awareness, but then we try to, you know, with people uh, who is already doing it in the space that have the solutions where, hey, if you need help or if you write a you say something to us, we can point you in the right direction to send you to to the right people to get you the help that you solely desire. Fantastic work. The circle of M.com. If you want to learn more about what Marcus is doing. And as he mentioned, uh, the, the podcast and some of the, the video series are on the site on YouTube, anywhere that you find your shows from the circle of M with Marcus Smith. Uh, it's really, it's really cool to see, man. And uh, you know, as we, as we kind of set out to, um prepare for this show this offseason one of the things that we really talked about was not only of course great football stories but what what folks who played for louisville are doing now off the field and how important that is in the grand scheme of things and so we can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing with us man uh, i would encourage everyone here if you're not following marcus on on social media make sure that you do that follow the circle follow your boy that's right man and hopefully we'll get you back up here for louisville for a louisville game soon uh we got the 10th best on, head coach you in the know. country now man we're back apparently is what they say yeah 
We are. We, we are, are back, man. man. We back. are back. Exciting time. Back to winning uh, like Louisville did when you were playing and wearing the red and black. So uh, Marcus Smith, ladies and gentlemen, uh, like I said, make sure you follow him on social. Thank you so much for joining us, Marcus. We'll catch up with you soon, brother. All right. Thank you, brothers. Thank Marcus enough for jumping on with us again on From the Pink Seats podcast. Where are they now? Be sure to subscribe to the show anywhere that you download your podcast from. Uh, we're anywhere. That's a dangerous thing, but we are anywhere and everywhere that you listen to your shows, including YouTube. Subscribe at the State of Louisville, where you not only will find new episodes of each of the State of Louisville podcast network shows, but also LM Eats, uh, including the most recent episode when they uh, went out to parlor. So thank you guys again for tuning in. We will catch you uh, here in the next couple of weeks. No show next week with the 4th of July but we will be back the following week couple of weeks to as i mentioned dive into jeff Brom and the offense with some purdue experts uh, and talk about what louisville fans can expect and then before you know it we will be previewing the 2023 louisville football season until then we will see you next time go cards Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.